The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 162 If I Die, I Die Haman's decree calling for the extermination of all Jews had been sent to the four corners of the Persian Empire. Every Jew in the world's largest empire faced death. When Mordecai read the decree, he rent his clothes in anguish. He put on sackcloth and ashes as his forefathers had done in times of tremendous crisis. As the people of Shushan walked through the king's gate and carried on with their everyday lives, they would see Mordecai wailing in the streets, his face filled with agony. Jews throughout the whole kingdom put on sackcloth and ashes. They wept, wailed, and fasted before God, imploring Him for deliverance. In a matter of months, they would be hunted down and killed. Many of them clung to the prophecies and promises of God. Zerubbabel had already returned to Jerusalem, but the sure word of prophecy suddenly seemed to be thrown into doubt. Eventually, reports reached Esther about how the Jews mourned in the streets. This depressed her. She was queen of Persia, yet this turn of events confused her and left her feeling unable to help. She was even more upset to hear reports that Mordecai wore sackcloth in the king's gate, which was illegal. Esther ordered her handmaids to send clothes to Mordecai. He refused them. At this point, he was not concerned with ceremony. Still unaware of the reason for the Jews' grief, Esther sent Hadak, the same chamberlain who had been with her from the beginning as queen, to ask Mordecai why there was such a terrible outcry. Mordecai was stunned that Esther did not know. As Mordecai prepared to send word back to Esther explaining the situation, he realized that she was extremely well-placed to do something about it. Having prayed and fasted for deliverance, Mordecai realized that this young Jewish woman, who was like his own daughter, might be God's way of saving the people. Mordecai gave Hidak a copy of Haman's decree to deliver to Esther. He also sent another message to the queen. Please tell her this, Mordecai said to Hidak. You have a special responsibility. You must go before King Xerxes and ask that this law be repealed. You must make supplication for the sake of your people. Hadak told the queen what Mordecai had said. This old trusted chamberlain was caught in the middle of a conversation that could decide the fate of the Jews. After Esther listened to the words, she nervously paced her bedchamber and considered what to do. Deliver to Mordecai my response. The queen drew a nervous breath and spoke. 
Everyone in the government and the kingdom knows of the old Persian law that no one can enter the inner court where the king's throne is unless they are requested. Whether man or woman, they will be killed unless the king extends the golden scepter to let them live. The king has not called for me in 30 days. I cannot go to the king without risking death. As Hedak left the room, Esther felt a sense of guilt, fear, and regret. Although she was the queen of Persia, she felt helpless to save her people. Mordecai was troubled to hear the queen's response to his request. He was certain that it was her unique responsibility to act. Answer the queen this, he told Hedak. Do not think you will escape the fate of all the Jews. You will not be protected. Even if you remain silent, I know that God will deliver us a different way, and we will be saved. But God will not protect you and your father's family if you try to save yourself. Mordecai thought a moment longer and then said, Hatach, Esther needs to have faith here. This is not an easy situation, but tell her this. It may well be that God deliberately exalted you to become queen of Persia for this very moment. Hedak faithfully delivered the message to the queen. Esther was moved by Mordecai's confident and faith-filled words. Suddenly, her life had gained a new sober context. She had not understood why she had been chosen as queen before this night. Now God was showing her how he had guided her life and what her purpose was. Esther had been given many blessings, but now God required some serious sacrifice from her. She took a deep breath and ordered a response to her uncle. Go. Gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast you for me. Neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so I will go unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Jesus Christ told his disciples in Luke 12:48 that when much is given, much is required. When God blesses us, it is because he wants us to have a happy, joy-filled, abundant life. But God's way is also the life of a servant. The more we are given, the more we are expected to serve. If we all reflect on our own lives, we can see that God has given us so much more than we deserve. He gave His only Son to die for our sins. All of us should be willing to sacrifice like Esther if called upon. If we die, we die. We will be resurrected as immortal spirit royalty. Can we put a price on that?
As the three days and nights of fasting came to an end, Esther prepared herself to go before the king. She had not seen the king privately for more than 30 days. She slipped into her royal apparel and quickly uttered a final prayer to God that the king would extend the golden scepter. Esther walked through the palace until she reached the inner court of the king's house. She remembered that Xerxes had angrily put Vashti away for disobeying him. In a way, it was only because he was so temperamental that she had the opportunity to become queen. She reflected on the fact that he had approved a decree to extinguish the lives of every last Jew in his empire. As she moved into the courtyard, she approached the entrance to the throne room. The moment had come. When Esther appeared on the threshold, Xerxes was sitting on the throne, contemplating some minor business. Eventually, he noticed Esther, and he immediately perked up. He reached for his golden scepter and extended it toward the queen. Esther slowly approached the king. She couldn't believe that the tensest moment of her life had passed so casually. When she placed her hand on the scepter, she knew that God had answered the prayers of thousands of Jews around the world. When Esther arrived at the throne, King Xerxes smiled. What is it, my queen? What is your request? I would even give you half of the kingdom if you asked for it. Deeply relieved, Esther addressed the king with a sincere meekness and appreciation that he found quite charming. She asked the king if he and Haman would join her for a banquet that same night. The king immediately ordered that it should be so. That night, Esther served Xerxes and Haman a sumptuous meal with fine wine. The king was delighted with her company and Haman felt very honored to have this personal favor showed him. Finally, Xerxes, quite satiated and content, addressed Esther. My queen, what is your request? He again asked. I will give you half the kingdom if you wish. Esther requested that he and Haman would attend another banquet with her the next evening. Xerxes quickly gave his assent. When Haman left the banquet, his heart was bursting with elation. He had been invited to a royal banquet with just the king and queen. Everything was going his way. His good mood was erased, however, when he passed through the king's gate and saw that Mordecai would not budge an inch to pay him homage. His wrath toward Mordecai returned and he stomped to his home in fury. When he arrived home, he gathered his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends and told them his good fortune. He revealed to his enchanted audience all of his wealth, described his rise to power, told them about his special banquet with the first family of Persia, and revealed that he would attend another one the next evening. Yet, as he drew near the end of his long speech of his successes, 
Eamon again grew despondent. All this means nothing to me, as long as Mordecai, the Jew, insults me every day at the king's gate. Haman pouted, becoming morose. His wife and friends came up with an idea to encourage their hero. Haman, his wife said, command that a gallows be constructed that is 50 cubits high. Tomorrow, hang the Jew and then go to the banquet of happy men. Haman brightened up at the thought of getting rid of this insolent man. He ordered servants to begin building the gallows immediately. As the ominous structure rose toward the sky that night, Haman slept in peace. His wrath toward Mordecai would soon be appeased, and his plan against the Jews was unstoppable. That same night, Xerxes could not sleep. He tossed and turned, but something was keeping him awake. Eventually, he roused himself and commanded a servant to bring him a book of some old records from his reign. As the old chronicles were read to him, he found that a man named Mordecai had revealed that two men sought to harm the king. Xerxes remembered the conspiracy. He pondered the matter for a few minutes, then finally asked his servants, What reward was given to Mordecai for uncovering the plot? Nothing had been done for the faithful Jew. Xerxes continued to think on the matter as he returned to bed and went to sleep. The next day, Haman came to talk to the king about the gallows he had made and to request that Mordecai be hung from them. Learning that Haman was in the outer court seeking to speak to the king, Xerxes called for him to enter. As the chief prince entered and bowed, the king asked, Haman, I'd like to get your counsel about something. What do you think should be done for a particular man whom the king would like to honor? Haman smiled, certain that he knew whom the king referred to. Who else would the king like to honor but me? Dear king, the arrogant prince began, the man whom you would like to honor should be treated like royalty. Bring the garments the king would wear in public, the horse that the king rides, and the royal crown of Persia, and let this man wear them and be paraded in front of the people. A chief prince should guide his horse and proclaim, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. The king was pleased with Haman's response. Smiling, he said to Haman, That is a terrific suggestion. Everything that you have said, do, and bestow all of this honor on Mordecai the Jew, who sits in the king's gate. Make sure not one detail is missed. Haman's jaw dropped slightly in disbelief. Yes, your majesty, he said, turning abruptly. As Haman left the room, he could not hide his disgust at how his fortunes had turned. The man whom he hated with every fiber of his being was being exalted, and Haman 
had to see to the honors himself. What a spectacle! Haman was forced to dress the man he hated in the king's royal garments, put him on a magnificent horse, and then walk beside the king's horse guiding it and proclaiming, Thus shall be done to the man the king delights to honor. He was utterly humiliated and outraged. Mordecai could clearly see how unhappy Haman was with the chore and he was a bit uncomfortable by the attention. Nevertheless, he was sure that God was involved somehow. With the lives of his people hanging in the balance, he was looking for any positive signs of God's intervention. After the ordeal was over, Amon went home mourning. He was hardly able to contain his grief at the embarrassment he had inflicted on himself as he struggled to regain his composure and prepare for the queen's banquet. His advisors and his wife came to speak with him. They had a rather negative, prophetic comment for Haman. If this man Mordecai, to whom you have begun to fall, is from the seed of Judah, you will not win. You will surely fall before him. As if Haman was not already distressed enough this comment really agitated him. These wise men of Persia knew the history. They had heard of the feats of the God of Israel. They knew that Israel had left Egypt low and had conquered the land. They knew that the Jews had special protection that the Persians could not explain. These carnal men could see God's hand in history. As Haman left for the banquet, he was about to play an infamous role in the making of that history. Haman arrived for the banquet but his mood was not as jovial as the night before. Despite Haman's soberness, Xerxes continued to enjoy himself. He again told Esther she could have anything she wanted. Queen Esther, what would you like? I can give you half the kingdom if you ask. Esther had worked carefully to gain the king's favor. Her request would not be won he would take pleasure in fulfilling. Considering her phrasing carefully, she said to her king, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please you, let my life be spared and also let my people be saved. Her statement caught the king's attention. What do you mean, my queen? Spared? Your people? What are you talking about? We have been ransomed to be murdered, destroyed, and exterminated. Esther explained. If we were merely to be sold as slaves, I would have remained silent, even though the king has power over our enemy. Xerxes had grown deeply concerned by this point, even angry. Who is this enemy you speak of? He asked. Who is this man? And where is he? Who wants to do such evil? He demanded fiercely. Esther pointed to Haman 
The enemy and author of this evil is Haman. The queen declared. Haman froze in disbelief. The king looked at him with such rage that the chief prince feared for his life. Abruptly, the king left the table and went into the palace garden. He was furious at the news. Haman had sought to exterminate his wife's people. Yet if he punished Haman for his plot, he would lose his most trusted advisor. Meanwhile, Haman was begging Esther for his life. He knew by the rage on the king's face that he would not be alive much longer without intervention. Esther refused to budge. In desperation, Haman threw himself on the same lounge bed Esther was on, still pleading for mercy. Outside, Xerxes began to consider extending mercy to Haman. He decided to return to the banquet chamber. Walking into the room, however, he saw Haman on the bed, trying to force the queen to his way. The sight infuriated the king. Will Haman also sleep with my wife in my own house? He roared in fury. Take him away! At his word, guards entered the room and apprehended the shocked and scared Haman. Covering his head, they led him away to his fate. Habona, one of the chamberlains, told the king of the gallows Haman had constructed for Mordecai. Hang him on his own gallows, ordered the king. The death sentence was immediately carried out, and Xerxes' wrath was pacified. The enemy of God's people had been miraculously stopped, and the king gave Esther possession of Haman's household. After a week of extreme stress and hardship, Esther was considerably relieved and glad to see how God had intervened. However, the Jews were still not safe. The queen called for her uncle Mordecai and explained everything that had happened in the last two days. After Haman's execution, the most important government position as chief advisor to the king was vacant. When Mordecai entered the throne room and bowed before the king, Xerxes pulled off the ring he had given to Haman. He handed it to Mordecai and made him the chief prince in the entire kingdom of Persia. Esther immediately made Mordecai ruler of the house of Haman as well. There was still an extremely important matter to be resolved, however. Esther threw herself down at the king's feet. Tears poured down her <laughs> cheeks as she begged Xerxes to devise a way to combat the proclamation made by Haman. Persian law prevented anyone, even the king, from repealing an old law. The king stretched forward the golden scepter again. Esther rose to her feet and wiped the tears from her face. If it please the king, and I have found favor in your sight, please send more letters out reversing the letter of Haman that allowed people to destroy all the Jews. She implored. How can I endure the sight of this evil approaching my people? Xerxes leaned back in his throne and stroked his beard, deep in thought. After a few moments, the king leaned forward. I have given the property of Haman to Esther. 
The man who was hanged on his own gallows because he schemed to destroy the Jews, he said directly to Mordecai. Now listen carefully to what I say, and send out this decree and seal with the ring, giving it royal assent. The king paused, then made his own decree to counter Haman's. The decree read, King Xerxes of Persia, who rules over the 127 provinces of the kingdom, from India to Ethiopia, makes this decree in every language to every person of the kingdom. On the 13th day of the 12th month of Adar, when it was appointed for the Jews to be destroyed, I command all Jews to organize and gather themselves together. I give you free reign to defend yourselves against anyone who seeks to harm you, and if they shall attack and die, you can take their possessions as a spoil. Mordecai and the king's scribes expeditiously copied and published the decree. Messengers rode the fastest horses to all corners of the kingdom to deliver the order. When the Jews in Shushan and in every city in Persia read the words from the king, they broke into great celebrations of joy. Old men and young fell to their knees, thanking God for deliverance. Women cried in relief, and young people danced in the streets. The sense of imminent disaster was replaced by profound gratefulness. God had answered their supplications. A great feast was held in God's honor, thanking Him for sparing their lives. However, the Jews would have to fight to survive. And they did. When the day came that the enemies of the Jews tried to destroy them, God helped his people. The Jews gathered into groups to protect themselves and killed over 75,000 people in self-defense. Esther even had Haman's 10 sons hanged. The fear of the Jews fell upon the land and no one sought to lay hands on them from that day forward. This history and the miraculous turn of events orchestrated by God are still celebrated by the Jews today in the festival of Purim. Mordecai was second in the kingdom only to Xerxes. He became a greatly renowned leader in the kingdom. God delivered his people from a holocaust because of their supplications and humility and also because of the courage of a young woman named Esther. Her role in history was not finished, however. The next king would play a pivotal role in restoring the city of God. Esther and Mordecai would help influence the young Artaxerxes, the king who would send a Jew named Nehemiah to build the walls of Jerusalem. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church. Thank you.